All right. You did, huh? There's a list. Oh, yeah, there is. I got a, I got a web browser in here somewhere. Look at list. that list. It's a huge list. I'm on the first one already. Come on. It's not a huge list. That's This is because you guys didn't talk last week. That's exactly why. Yeah, it was jinxed. Jinxed, I tell you. And, you know, it's, yeah, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? But yeah. there's there's some of these that I just couldn't behold without going, ooh. Yeah. Oh, Did that man. really fly? Did it really fly? Pterodactyl thing. <laughs> well, right. now, it used to fly an ultralight called a pterodactyl. Yeah. Yeah, this, that was uglier. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. Oh you got to love them for trying. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it, if looking at some of these, and I think of the F-117 stealth fighter, and go, you know, that's one of those, it's in the beholder's eye to see the real beauty. <laughs> Since you can't see it on radar, you got to have an eyeball on it to see anything. Well, what's, <laughs> what, what's the best jet fighter to you? Say again, Jeb? What's the best looking, best looking? Jet fighter. Oh gosh, that's. I would it. have to say the F eighteen. The eighteen, the best looking jet fighter. Uh, Amy, you're down for the one eight, right? Yeah, I'm down for the one eight. Although the fourteen is pretty sexy too when it's got its. Put me, put me down for the F eighty six. Damn you! Damn you! Damn you! Damn you! Well, why was that one you're going to take? That was my choice. Yeah. Well, it can be yours too. You know. Well, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be first. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. See, I'm not really a jet fighter person. I don't know. I, uh, um, you know, the 18 has a lot of appeal because, well, because the Blue Angels fly it. That's pretty cool. And but I, I, I got a little time in, in FA-18, uh, and I still go with the F-86. <laughs> He's got a little time. Is it in your logbook? That's what I want to know. Is it in your logbook? Yeah. yeah. Is it really? Well, there was a newspaper article published about it with photos and yeah. circles and arrows and a Group W bench. Right. So. Let's, ask, let's ask the question differently. Can you count it toward anything? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Did somebody ah. sign your book? Did, did you get the book signed, or did you just put an entry in there? No, I just put an entry in there. All right. Cool. Ah, okay. Yeah. That, doesn't, that, that, that only sort of counts. Well, I mean, it counts in a particular way, but not, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what. The, the, the way my body felt beat senseless at the end of the day <laughs> trying to write that story <laughs> It will always count for me. <laughs> so, like, so those are the prettiest like airplanes, the, but we've got the like ugliest. The, I'm sorry, Jeb, I keep interrupting you. Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say kind of like the 2011 edition of Sun and Fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, beat us senseless. Well, you, you should talk. You were back exactly. in the, you know, the uh, safety of, uh, of Shea Burnside there. And, uh, well, let's, let's just chalk that up to planning. Yeah, no, I don't I, think so. You were just lucky. <laughs> you know, and I thought I had it bad. Amy, I, I don't think you've been on the podcast. Have you? Maybe you have. That's right. You told the story. Yeah, I told the story of getting wetter than being dunked in, the, in a swimming pool. Amy's the one who almost got blown away. She was outdoors in a tent when oh, this thing I'm hit. Oh, heavier than that. Why, why but... does this not surprise me? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, was, I was being a dumb Floridian. I was being a dumb Floridian. Yeah. I just, That's right. When the thing hit, you just thought, oh, I'm safe in a tent. I'll stay here. Yeah. <laughs> well, my back was to it. Oh, yeah, I just yeah. really didn't get a good look at it. And, you know, I was busy chewing. Come on, guys. 
Yeah. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't see very far west uh, from anywhere in a commercial area, and that's where you needed to be looking was west. You did. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, although although the guys in the buildings that were either selling or standing next to people selling weather services on iPads, tablet did. computers, and, and 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 for them to complain they didn't get any warning. Yeah, I know, really. Was there... I'm sorry, I want my money back for your product, dude. If you weren't seeing it, it's not their fault. It's yeah. like, wake the frack up. Ten minutes before the uh, thing hit, I posted a, a screenshot of the radar that showed the purple echoes. So... Uh... Yeah, yeah, we had we had some warning talked, that something exciting was about to happen. We talked a couple of days ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some weather forecast for for that part of the week. Yeah, yeah. but getting back to the ugliest airplanes ever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we were we I mean, we morphed somehow into the ugliest weather we, ever. We, but we, yeah, we've talked about the ugly weather, but I see two shortcomings on this list of thirteen. Yeah, what's that? Well, I would halfway expect for the storch. Oh yeah, and it's not on here. What what makes the first of all describe the storch for us real quick briefly? Uh, It's like if you cut off the front half of a praying mantis and put an engine on the back half. Yeah, uh, that would. And and Dave, what about the the um, vilga, the Polish vilga? Come on, guys. I think the Vilga has a sort of interesting, you know, I don't know. I, I they're both ugliness. Kind of I, I don't think the, the, the Storch is, is ugly at all. I think uh-huh. it's flown correctly. No, I, I don't really and, think it's ugly. I would expect it to be on this list. Oh, okay. okay. Well, that, that, that you know, I, I don't know, you know, that many ugly airplanes. Um, um, I might think of them as such. Now, yeah, from what I heard, you used to date one, but never mind. Uh, oh. All right. Everybody keeps interrupting Jeb. Go ahead, Jeb. No, I was just going to say, um, I don't know. Some of these are not all that ugly to me. Right. Some of them are quite interesting. They're all pretty interesting. Uh, th- this, by the way, is a list that we're reading from HistoryNet.com, which uh, is headlined at the 13 Ugliest Airplanes um, by Stephen Wilkinson, is the uh, author of this. He certainly has collected together 13 really unusual-looking airplanes, some, some of which I, I don't think I've ever seen before. And uh, A number of them are new to me. And, and, and the other one I think is missing is hinted at very strongly in picture 11 of 13, the Bruget 763 oh, yeah. DuPont. Oh, yeah. Ah, yes. A 1949 French airliner which, to me, flashes into another French airliner that I think is also ugly, the A380. Yes, I was, gonna, I was wondering. Yeah, this one is a little bit uh, uh, suggestive of that with the, double, the, the two levels of uh, windows. I presume those are two levels of, of seating. What, what is it about French, the French that they're so into designing short, thick airplanes? Oh, do you really want to? I'm sure I can lay that on them because they've designed some really pretty ones, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah, not okay. Italians. They're not doing Avantis. But, you know, other than that. <laughs> okay, we'll hear from Luca on that one. Yeah, that's right. He'll let us know what's going on. Um, so so we're sort of in agreement that although these are very unusual sort of non-standard airplanes, we wouldn't characterize at least not all of them as being ugly. No, there's yeah. some of them definitely ugly. But not yeah, all. the PL-11 air truck is ugly. Yeah, which number is that, Amy? Uh, oh, I'd have to count. Well, there's a number underneath each picture. 
Yes, but I was looking at the text. I actually read this stuff, you know. See, <laughs> yet, an, yet another difference between. Yeah, it's pretty far down. Are you are you going? Are you waxing into a men are from, uh, women are from Mars and men are from Venus? It crossed my mind for just a sm- split second, and then I thought better of it. So oh, don't go there. <laughs> the Westland Hill Pterodactyl Mark Five. The thing about the Mark V is it makes me wonder what Marks 1 through 4 look like. Yeah. And and what happened to them? Well, they may have never made it off the drawing board. This could have been the pick of the litter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The XF-85 Goblin is pretty hysterical. Oh, and that's a McDonald, McDonald airplane, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, come on. Now, the Hanley Page it's HP 50. Yeah. Okay. you uh, got to describe it for people because they're not looking at the pictures. I'm trying to put my words together on this one. This looks like you took uh, a, 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 a two canoes, put one on top of the other, and then put the canoe between uh, below the upper wing of a biplane and then gave it two engines out on pylons. Uh, it's been done. Yeah, who was it who famously strapped a canoe to? Was it Lindbergh or somebody uh, strapped a canoe to an airplane with the idea that this was going to save his or her life somehow? I don't know. They do it all the time in Canada. I, I, I was going to say, I don't know if it was Lindbergh. It might have been someone like Wiley. Well, the, the, the first Curtis seaplane wasn't much more than a canoe with a, a wing and a motor attached. And, and why, why was there such an emphasis on seaplanes back in, say, the 20s and 30s? Hello. Speaking Five, four, of three, two, one. Because the runways were inadequate for the performance of the airplane. That is correct. Oh, ah, okay. And the water water turned into being the best uh, runway for for a lot of different operations. A lot of different. Yeah, certainly for the big airliners trying to go around the world right. and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And I got to agree with number one and number two in terms of uh, the uh, Mr. Wilkinson's pecking order or ugly order. Uh, <laughs> this uh, AD Scout from 1915, an anti-Zeppelin fighter, is a nose over waiting to happen, baby. I mean, oh, come, come well, one, on. One of these um, has a, uh, <coughs> a, a co-starring role in a very iconic film. Really? That's, yeah. Yes. Can we can we think of which one that is? What is it? Flyboys. No, it's the number 12, the Bennett <gasps> PL-11 air truck, a crop-dusting aircraft. Okay, This yeah. is a, a mid-wing, high greenhouse cockpit, very short fuselage, twin boom, twin T-tail um, crop duster. This was, in the, this was in one of the final scenes of the film um, Road Warrior. Really? Uh, where the, the the small family was escaping in the airplane, the guy that wrote it, the guy with the gyroplane, he's flying this this airplane, and they're going off to Valhalla or, or something like that. This is which movie was this? Road Warrior. Road Warrior. Uh, uh, William. Um, oh yeah. I want to say really? William Gibson, but it's not William Gibson. It's um, uh, I'm gonna have to Mel Gibson. Mel. Mel. Yeah. Mad Mel with the mouth. 
That's a, that's a bizarre looking airplane. The, the, it's a bizarre the, looking airplane. The twin tails, cool. because and you know, unlike most twin tails, these don't connect. This is two separate booms, each with a T tail on the back of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, At number one and number two. Number one, the AD Scout, an anti Zeppelin fighter, which I swear I want to run out and put a brace under the nose. To hold it out. Okay, this is a biplane. It's like you took an easy riser, put launched hang glider, and put a big pod on the upper wing and an engine below the cord line so that the you're going to get pitch changes when you change power. The text but, of the article says, says it as well as anything. It's an upside-down biplane. Man. And yeah. the Curtis Goopel Duck. Yeah, now that's the weird one. This is number two in the list. Now, uh, I swear, I swear the Beatles took this <laughs> for the blue meanies in yellow submarine. Yes, yeah. that is what it looks like. Yeah. That's right. Now, is this a twin engine? I can't quite make it out. I don't think so. I think it's one engine, one prop up there on that funny pointy nose. There's one propeller, and it probably had, on average, one engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. I agree with you. It was steam, it was steam powered. Wait a minute, are you making that up or are you reading that? No, from... read the text of the article. No, why would yeah. I do that? I'm just looking at the pictures. Yeah, no, steam powered, really. Like, what does that mean? There was. I have a well, it's a duck, so. <laughs> well, it means it means it probably only had one engine. Yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, because that'd be a heavy engine. You bet. Yeah. If only because the water supply would be. You got to have fuel and water on board. Well, that was originally designed to be steam powered. I think that's not true. It ended up flying with a Curtis Ox um, engine in it. And it's an amphib. Yeah, well. Well, it's a duck. What do you want? The Grupal duck, yeah. But I mean, you look at it and I go, okay, yeah, I guess that would float. But how do you keep the propeller blade out of the water? Dude, that thing's only good for one splash. (laughs) (laughs) It probably had ejectable landing gear because they did that in those days where you could just literally pull a latch and it would just drop the landing gear after you flew away. You had to have a ground crew to to go clean it up. This is not one of those aircraft, though. The duck actually flew on a Curtis OX-5. Yeah, I think Amy mentioned that. uh, I'm sorry, OX-10. Yeah. an OX-X, yeah, engine. Um, so those are the uh, what thirteen ugliest airplanes according to uh, our uh, our new Steve favorite Lucas. aviation website historynet.com. And uh, on that note, welcome folks to episode two hundred and thirty four of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. You're going to be hearing a little bit of background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not it's, it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this is this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We've got Skyriders now. We've got Skyriders We've got now. Skyriders Does that say UCAP? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site. Clear to land. Turkey Central Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. We're recording this episode on Tuesday evening, April 26, 2011. And the pretty, the pretty. General Aviation Podcast. Is that what we are? I, 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 
I'm not sure. It's a good thing we're not doing it. I'm so like, hey, we got Amy. I mean, what the <laughs> hell? Is oh, there, so pretty. We're prettier. I don't know about how pretty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we, we start way down the pike. On we've this. had okay. Jeb all along, so we're plenty pretty. Uh, oh! Let me say hi to my friends here don't in the virtual hangar. Uh, that guy out there raving about prettiness is Dave Higdon, who's talk, talking to us from uh, from windblown Wichita, Kansas. It's uh, every every day we hear another big storm passing through the the not not Wichita exactly, but uh, it's kind of been crazy out there lately, David, hasn't it? Well, we had some we had some of the butt ugly type weather uh, about two nights ago, uh, but it didn't turn into dangerous, damage, devastating weather until it got into Missouri. Uh, I'm not sure why Kansas got off the hook. Right, uh, and that's the one that continued on into the Carolinas and killed a bunch of people? Oh, that would, no, that's that's later than that that's, one. That's like a week ago, This actually. is just a couple of days ago. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's been a bunch of them, so it's been a crazy... Anyway, we bright, sunshiny day, except it's raining. Except, oh, okay. Well... On that note, also here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Jeb, you know, the uh, the whole story of Wilson and the turtle um, is kind of reaching kind of a magical meme status here. A number of people have commented in Twitter and in the forums about, uh, um, I, you know, and I, I still debate whether or not to, to tell people the rest of that story. But uh, I guess for the time. <laughs> what else is going on, Jeb? Any uh, airplane activities down your way? Um, no, kind of waiting on uh, uh, Lee to finish up a project on a neighbor's airplane. He's basically, you know, doing a bunch of stuff to it, annual inspection and uh, new windshield, all kinds of stuff. Uh, kind of waiting on him to finish that stuff up. Mine's, I think, going in the avionics shop uh, later this week for some for some tinkering. Really? What are you going to have done to it? Um, well, let's see. The mode C and uh, transponder and static system checks are due. Need to get them done. Autopilot uh, won't, and um, uh, a couple of other little nitpicky things I want to have uh, addressed. Yeah, cool. Uh, Hey, Jack. Yeah? Could I ask a question? You can. Did you finish all the introductions necessary? I'm not done yet, David. Ah, Okay. Someone's someone's ahead of us, Jack. And also here in the uh, virtual hangar is our good friend Amy Loboda. How you doing, Amy? Ah, see, he he was getting to me. He was getting to me, Higdon. I was. I'm doing great this evening. I'm doing just lovely. And and uh, Jeb is absolutely right. It's been a gorgeous day. It's a shame I've been holed up in my office all day, writing like a fiend. Uh, finally, having the the watch spring wound tight enough that I could actually spit out something worth reading. So, so, so Amy, I, here's here's the here's the real sixty four thousand dollar question for you. What's that? Is your air conditioning on yet? Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> when I mean hold up, I mean hold up. It was 91 degrees here today. Well, and when the, when there was no funny. We had to turn cover. the furnace back on yesterday here. Yeah, yeah. When there's no cloud cover, it's a problem. Now, it was gorgeous when it started raining last night, other than the fact that the dog went tail between her legs into into the back bedroom and tried to climb on the furniture and things like that because she can't stand the lightning. And the thunder, but uh, you know, I tried to explain to the dog yet again, one more time, eleven years, maybe that's the charm, that she just needs to deal with it. That's, yeah, that's right. Where yeah. she is. 
And before David just kind of completely has a meltdown here, let me say that I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm talking <laughs> to you here. Uh, high atop, lookout point in they ought to give a parade because I'm home now, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, I've been I've been gone for a long time, it seems. But uh, I'm back, and, uh, and the weather's beautiful, uh, at least for this time of year, it's beautiful. And uh, the, the lake is back up to its full level, which may or may not be a good thing for people who, who care about such things. But, uh, having the lake... <laughs> Be at its full level this early in the season. What's saying, Jack? Say again? What, what's that old saying? The weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm back here and uh, had a great brunch. Uh, we had one of our little uh, UCAP uh, meetup things down in, uh, in Nashua, New Hampshire last Saturday and uh, had a good old time. It was myself and eight eight of my friends, my, uh, my UCAP friends, we got together there, and uh, it was a nasty, uh, 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 rainy, cold day. And I'm glad you filled that out, because the way you hesitated right behind nasty had me wondering. Well, no, I mean, yeah. it, it was rainy, and, 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 and you know, Jeb got to participate a tiny bit by Twitter, because uh, um, we were commenting about the fact, it, it actually snowed on Saturday, which is a, a sort of an aberration here. That's um, just wrong. Yeah, but uh, it, it further up in New Hampshire, apparently it seriously snowed like an inch or two, um, but uh, we were right here at the snow line, and as I was driving to Nashua, I actually started to see big, big uh, wet snowflakes in the air, snow and uh, um, so, and, and I, as I mentioned on Twitter, I, that, that uh, Jeb would be laughing his butt off if he heard about this, and he did. Um, but uh, so we got to the rest restaurant down at Nashua's uh, uh, Midfield Cafe, and uh, we weren't able to sit out on the deck this time. Um, weren't even able to hang out there because it was raining the whole time. But we had a good old time hanging out inside, and uh, um, you know, chatted and caught up, and uh, uh, getting ready for the the next visit when we'll hopefully get a chance to go wander around on the field. So that's what I've been up to. Um, before we wander into regular uh, uh, aviation talk, Amy, I want to kind of publicly thank you for, uh, I, I've publicly thanked Jeb a number of different times for being such a great host, and I want to thank Amy for being a great host while I was down there as well. I uh, went down there and visited for a day and a half or so and uh, had some great conversation and some great hospitality and uh, a fun airplane ride. Uh, that was that was, that was was cool, Amy. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. It was a lovely morning, and uh, I was glad to take advantage of it, as a matter of fact. Uh, and, and I can attest that you surely do know how to fly that little tail dragger in not the ideal or perfect circumstances. There was a pretty good crosswind uh, on that runway, and um, you just kind of did your thing. It was, it was, I was impressed. Um, I was actually kind of pleased with that landing. <laughs> the, the landing was cool. I, I, I thought the takeoff was kind of notable as well, uh, because, I mean, you know, we, we, get, we started out at the end of the runway, and you just really literally started out diagonally down that runway. I mean, you know, if, if, if we hadn't gotten airborne, you would have gone into the grass about halfway down the runway because you were using the angles to try and get as, you know, as little of that crosswind as you possibly, at least I assume that's what you were doing. Maybe you were just out that, of control. I don't know. No, 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 no. That, that, is, that is quite deliberately what I was doing. I figured. I figured. No yeah. question about that. Um, although it is a neat trick on a 50-foot wide runway. Yeah, you didn't have very much width to play with, but you took advantage of it. And uh, it was very pronounced that we were, we were going diagonally across this runway. And uh, so that was cool. And we got, got airborne. Yeah, I made your body part for 50 feet. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, made, I made a point of thanking Jack for being there. Or, uh, it, it, thanking you for being there as, as my um, 
ballast, if you oh, remember. Correctly. Yes, I see. Because the airplane doesn't fly nearly as well in, in heavier winds and gusty conditions if it's light. Let me know anytime. I'll, uh, I'll be your ballast. Uh, <laughs> That's, that could be the title right there. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll be your ballast, I'll be, baby. Yeah, I'll, I'll be your ballast, baby. Wasn't that a, like a Dave Clark five tune or something? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. The landing was pretty cool too. Uh, you landed in the grass to the uh, side of the runway, which, uh, as I understand it, is not officially speaking. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, well, now what am I supposed to talk about? All right, never mind. <laughs> We didn't land in the grass. No, I think it's fine. I, I'm not sure how many of my neighbors are actual listeners. So. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and you kind of you know, threaded the needle there because it's not a very wide patch of grass, and apparently there are obstacles but to be... it's wider than the runway. Is it really? Well, <laughs> yes. And you had, to, you had to avoid some obstacles at the very beginning of that uh, stretch of grass, you know, and you warned me about that. You said, don't worry, I, I see them, and uh, I, I wasn't even paying attention to that part of it, but uh, got down in the grass and... Uh, um, it was fun. I had a good time, and we and it was a really beautiful day. We were, flew out over the uh, out to the western coast there, the uh, the the what do you want to call them? The barrier islands out over the yes. Gulf of Mexico, and uh, that's exactly right. And you could look straight down and see the bottom. Yeah, it's really beautiful. You can see the uh, the uh, the bottom there, and and see all the boats and houses out there built like on nothing. Like, yeah, right like over the water. Some on of them. posts, you know. In the middle of the water, you know, crazy, crazy lifestyle, huh? Oh, come on, you guys fish on ice. Yeah, but I don't yeah, live. Really. I don't live out there, and and it's not likely there's going to be a hurricane while I'm out That's there. That's okay. They don't live out there either. <laughs> I, I hope not. Yeah, because no, those I, are fish houses. Yeah, and I keep. Th- I just just kept picturing what would happen to them when the big winds come through. But anyways, it was very pretty and very beautiful. And then later on, we, uh, we after the flight, we we drove back out partly out that way and had a really nice uh, uh, lunch at a a very picturesque place. And uh, yep, two cans. Yeah, and then Lache, Florida. And then met your f- furniture friend. That is correct. Yeah. Did you, by the way, send that pic? Did you get communicate? Did you get the picture that I sent you by way of text message? No. You didn't. If I did, if I did, I have to go dig back through and see. Okay, this is totally not airplanes. I may even cut it out, all right? Your friend who's should not have drilled a hole in the bottom of it because it may be a valuable antique. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Well, that yeah. happens. But uh, that was pretty cool. Anyways, we'll have to decide whether this stays in the podcast. What were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, oh, we Airplanes. Weren't, we Airplanes. Were, we weren't talking about very much at all. Let's see now. There must be a list here. What's the list have to say about things here? Uh, it so has we, some interesting things to say, baby. Yeah. So, anyways, we talked about the brunch at the Midfield Cafe. Uh, Jeb, you wanted to talk about Skynet very quickly here? Uh, the, <laughs> well, um, the big Skynet date kind of came yeah, and was, went without anybody kinda, making a big deal about it. Well, there was there was some chatter about it, just more, more of it being, uh, I guess, snide or, or oh, by the way, kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, there was uh, that little Amazon uh, uh, cloud services problem that, you know, a large percentage of the internet failed that's, that that's day. Just, that happens when the NSA changes their hard drives out. <laughs> Is that what it was? Okay, yeah. So, what is it you wanted to call our attention to, Skynet related, Jeb? Just just the the, the Skynet thing, of course, is all about robots. Uh, you know, going on the rampage kind of thing. All right, fine. Well, right. T- in, yeah, t- in some cultures, uh, I think we might already be there. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> give us an well, example. Give us an example, he said. Well, there's this, an article in the New York Times dated uh, Tuesday, April 26th, uh, a week ago. No, today, I'm sorry. 
No, that's not, never mind. That's that's the uh, um, today's date. The, uh, the article is dated September twenty eighth, two thousand ten, but it's just an overview article about UAVs and and drones and and, and whatnot that are that we're sending them into all these little all these different cultures, all these other countries, and pretty much all that's indistinguishable from the, the concept behind Skynet to to a lot of cultures. Uh, I just I just kind of wonder if maybe we want to think about this some more. No, well, I think it's too late for that. You think uh, it's too late? I, I, you know, it's they're out there, man, and uh, you know, we're, we've already got. I, I mean, all kidding what aside, you're, what you're telling me is we need we need to start coming up with some opposition. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, we can try, but you know, we, we got to find what's his name, John, uh, John. Uh, the, oh, please don't say John Gold. No, 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 hey, no, no, no. no. It, it, until until there's a midair, it's going to be a non issue. Thank you, thank you. You're right. It's going to be, it's going to be screaming against the tide, you know, uh, screaming against the wind, and then one of these puppies is going to tangle with someone, and we can only hope that it's tangles with something small and relatively innocuous, so that the people who die are in single digits. Yeah, Jeb, go ahead. Distinctions here is, I think. With, with the current existing technology, of course, there's always a human in the loop. But at some point, that may or may not be the case. A, B, to to uh, some observers, there's not that much different between flying one of these with a human controller or the thing flying on purely robotically. To uh, some controllers, that is true. Right. However, I think that when there is no human being aboard, uh-huh. you run the risk of not caring as much. And no, what's I mean, really going to happen... Amy, the, I think that ship sailed. Okay. Well, but, but, but my point is what's really going to happen is the damn thing's going to get jammed somehow and go AWOL. And they're not going to be able to destroy it because it does have a self-destruct on it. But that doesn't mean shit. Excuse, oops. Excuse me. Man, oh, man, Amy. Blip. You'll just have to blip it out. All right. Don't, don't. It it, it, yeah, here, here, you need a beep. Beep. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't because hey, the day hey, that that happens right. where it goes AWOL and then it hits something. And well, they had, there's they had one go AWOL outside. They uh, had outside one go AWOL in the D.C. Exactly. It was a rotorcraft. It was some yeah. kind of remote RP, uh, UAV rotorcraft. And it just motors right up the Potomac, you know. Well, my point is it happens. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, it's there, when it happens and makes a big enough stink. Yeah, the poster child for all that, of course, is that caravan that went down about 10 years ago east of uh, New Orleans. I had paint transfer marks on it, un- unidentified. Oh. Uh, and um, um, the pilot, you know, declared mayday or, or was in distress before. He just said, what is that? What is, you know, what, what is this thing coming at me? And and um, something hit him. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. And nobody's going to talk about what hit him. Sure. But I think I think we've got real issues here with that that will not come to play until something happens. And sadly, you know, once, once upon a time we had aviation alphabet soup groups that would be jumping up and down and slapping the ground and carrying on and making noise that we would be talking about because they were making that noise. And right now it seems like that 
there's a few making noise, but it ain't the big guys. Now, if they are, they're doing it still. Wow. They're the having so screen. much trouble just keeping their own numbers up, I think, right now, that it's hard for them to make noise about anything. They're just, well, they're know, just be, happy we don't have user fees. It'd be easier for them to, to, to invite the participation that would keep up their numbers if they were visibly engaged. And it seems like they're less visibly engaged these days. Can't say that they're not engaged, whether they're engaged less or more in reality, but in terms of how visible and how much noise that they make in doing it, uh, we're all, all, all four of us are kind of on a crossroads, right? We, we have jobs and engagements and activities that feed us a lot more information that, that, than maybe the average and if we ain't seeing it, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Well, that could be true. That could be true. It's certainly um, under the radar. I'll give you that, Dave. Yeah. It's stealth at best, but I'm not sure. Interviewed a gentleman today who talked about user fees and what beat it back. And he's, he's worked in, in, in the general aviation business uh, at, at, at a fairly high level for a long time. His opinion was that what beat it back wasn't what the alphabet groups were doing or what the Fortune 500 companies were doing. It was the little guys jumping up and down and hollering at their lawmakers uh, saying, Whiskey Tangle Foxtrot, are you deranged? No. And that that stuck. Well, that's if that's true, that's kind of encouraging. Well, yeah, because it means there's more little guys than we think. Yeah. And, and and I think that there's more uh, that can be done by the little guys because, again, right now, if the big guys are doing it, it sure seems like stealth or we're going to take a different approach and make it less confrontational or whatever. Uh, after a certain point, it all starts to feel like uh, it's, it's something to do with blow. I'm trying to figure out what the other word is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. Oh, no. Before we move on, Jeb, did you ever, speaking of Skynet, Jeb, did you ever find your missing Roomba? I did. It was under um, under a bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost always, although I had one that went in a room by itself and Probably closed the door. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just need, it, it just needed to be alone. Somehow or other, it managed to close the door, and for like three days, it didn't for occur the, to me that it could have ever gone in that room because that room was closed. Yeah, were all the were all the parts still you know together? Yeah, it had finally eaten something under a chair somewhere. All right, what else are we going to talk about here? There's just so many things on this list. You guys pick something. What should we talk about? What? Look at the list, and the first person that says something. Well, we, could always, we could always talk about Inhofe. Well, yeah, this uh, is good old Senator that's, Inhofe. That's, that's too easy, though. Yeah, yeah, this is the story that just keeps on giving. Um, this is just. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but it, 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 this butthead doesn't deserve any more discussion. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of agree. Okay. All right, all right. So let's talk about the uh, helicopter rescue of the hiker and the dog. The poor hiker who gets out 
in the middle of nowhere, but yet has cell phone receptivity. Well, that's because he was on Mount Tam in, in near San Jose. He's not really that far away from anything. All right, uh, it is remote, and you can get yourself in trouble out there. But if you're fa- if you're on the hill on the right side of the hill, you're facing Silicon Valley, so you got cell phone coverage. Um, so uh, who knows something about the story? I haven't actually looked at the uh, the link or whatever, but. Uh, well, it looks like it looks like it got cold and windy very very quickly, and he was in shorts and light clothing. It can and do that. He wasn't going to be able to get down without uh, putting a serious hurt on himself. Yeah, this is this is interesting terrain out there. This is uh, uh, right to the uh, east. Yeah, east of uh, San Jose. Um, San Jose being basically at sea level because it's at the very southern tip of San Francisco Bay. Do um, you know the way to San Jose? And then uh, Mount Tam, Mount Tamalpais, is uh, is like a four thousand foot peak that is not much more than ten miles ladder fifteen maybe miles laterally from San Jose. I mean, this is like a big big uh, uh, rise, and uh, and and you can't miss it from the air. Yeah, and and you can and it's not unusual to get snow. Uh, on the uh, on the high parts of these hills, so yeah, it can it, the weather can turn because you're four thousand feet. Obviously, the uh, temperature can be very different, and uh, you know lots of things can happen. So uh, so somebody got jammed up up there, and they had to send a helicopter after him. Is that what happened? Well, you say they had to send a helicopter. I got the feeling CHP went. Ooh, this is good. Good place for us. To <laughs> yeah, do. we get all this cop we'll equipment. Practice, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. with the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, okay. So did they actually, like, what did they do? Did they have to land and get him, or did they put down the cable and scoop the dog? Or how did they, they, had, they hoisted they had him up? They hoisted him, yeah, because they actually had trouble finding him in the, in the um, canopy cover, and he had to kind of get out to an open area. But, yes, they, they hoisted him up, which, yeah. I, which is why I think it had to be some good practice for them. Uh-huh. They, they, they used an amazing technology when, when, the, when the CHP couldn't find the guy initially. They brought in a pizza delivery driver who pointed <laughs> out right away. There's another helicopter story someplace on this list um, that, uh, what is it? Oh, excuse me, ginger ale burp. Um, so uh, <laughs> That's your drink of you're choice? You're drinking right? ginger ale? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there's another helicopter story here. Uh, there's a story about uh, Australian ranchers that use helicopters, uh, in particular uh, Robinson R-22s, for, uh, for herding cattle. Oh, I was so afraid you were going to say to pick up dates. No, but. no. I, now, did you guys watch this video? Because when I first was pointed to this video, I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. I've heard and seen images of, of ranchers using helicopters, but I, I wasn't prepared for what I saw when I actually watched this video. These guys are crazy, all right? They're not like, you know, at treetop level, you know, kind of, you know, scaring the cattle along. They're like down there two and three feet off the ground, all right, well below, in amongst the trees, all right, literally herding individual cattle, all right, to along the, uh, you know, the... Uh, 
the roundup, I guess they call it. All right. Um, these are like crazy, crazy pilots. Uh, they're doing some really scary stuff with these but helicopters. Jack, they're actually safer at two or three feet above the ground than they sure. would be at treetop level because at sure. treetop level, something goes, there's no room to auto rotate. Well, there is that, but you know, I mean, I'm literally, they're, they're not simply like level. They're like zigging and zagging and they're banking it. You know, I mean, I'm worried about blades hitting the ground. I'm worried about blades hitting trees. I'm worried about blades hitting cows which would be kind of colorful all right but uh, well, when 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 that last thing happens uh, they they call that a bull strike <laughs> oh. so this is a pretty cool video you got to watch this video they uh, in the video there was and it wasn't simply one there was like two of these r22s working in, in a team go ahead jeb what no, 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 no. Go ahead. Right. Uh, and so uh, this was just crazy, crazy flying. Um, and it is genuinely dangerous, apparently, according to the this video is part of a documentary that was on Australian TV. And uh, according to the video, um, on, on the order of 10 pilots a year are killed doing this. Um, it's it's very, very common, um, you know, using helicopters like this to herd the cattle. And uh, you watch the video, you can understand how incredibly dangerous it is. And uh, it's like, yikes. That was quite and that must be some really valuable beef. <laughs> I guess so, huh? But, uh, I mean, on one level it looks like fun, but on another level it looked crazy. What else is going on? Is there anything uh, else to be said about sleeping controllers? No. I mean, come on. Guy. Yeah. Did you really think it wasn't happening? Right. Oh, come on. It, it, what's left to talk about is that somebody at the FAA needs to grow up and wake the frack up uh, over this, this this idiocy of, oh, they're not sleeping on my watch, not while on the job, when every authority, including a couple of sleep experts who do this for NASA, and one of whom now works for the NDSB, he's a board member, uh, says, you know, you need to let pilots nap on those 14-hour legs. You need to let controllers nap on those overnight shifts. It actually works good. It's productive. It improves safety margins. Don't be stupid. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I forgot who I was talking about. <laughs> hey, but you've got to have more than one staffer to allow a staffer to nap. That's and that's the granted, key thing granted. here. But they've That's already they've already the they've already said they're doing away with single overnighters. So, uh, well, I mean, but that was they, instead of firing the controller on a single overnight shift, you take a look at how you you agreed. created agreed. the problem in the first place. Yeah. One one guy that's been doing some really interesting analysis on the whole subject is um, Jeb. Help me. What's his name? Chris Brown. Uh, sorry, man. I'm drawing a blank. Um, your 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 former uh, writer Don, Don Brown. Don Brown, thank you, Don Brown, who writes the uh, 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 Get with the Flick. Help me, I'm I'm trying to do this. Get, get the Flick. Get the Flick uh, blog. A former controller, retired controller, um, who has been doing some interesting writing on the subject, and and his analysis uh, rings true to me, anyways. Um, you know, and and his his comments are very similar to Dave's in that uh, you know all of the proposed solutions are just a fantasy and aren't really going to solve the problem. Um, you know, the, the, the initial solution is to why, add why more controllers. Us? 
Yeah, right. The initial solution is, as Dave said, or Amy, someone just said, to add more controllers. The problem is there aren't enough controllers to add more controllers. Agreed. So what they end up doing is they're just authorizing more overtime, which means that they're solving the sleepy controller problem by creating even sleepier controllers. Oh, um, right. You know, it, yeah. it, it would help if they would grow up about the staffing levels. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah. but they're, they're they're under Congress's thumb that everything's got to keep shrinking in what we spend, even though things are growing in what we need, and that's that they, they are mutually exclusive. When things get bigger, you need more to do them. Uh, uh, center controllers work in all three shifts where there are multiple controllers sitting in dark rooms. They're not in tower cabs. Letting them take their mandated, mandated already, 30 and 40 minute breaks away from the screen and forbidding them from closing their eyes during that? What? 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 Moron comes up with that thinking. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, I would recommend people to Don Brown's uh, um, uh, blog to read some of his observations and analysis of this. And there's a lot of others too. So, um, Get, uh, hey, did anybody see the um, NTSB report about uh, the misaligned rivets out of Boeing? Yeah. yeah. Do you I think that's on that. all the 737s or just the, the 300s through 500s? I didn't read, all, read it all that closely. I, I, I saw some wear and tear there, too. Yeah, now this is the uh, 737 that uh, popped a hole and had, yeah, the explosive, had an explosive decompression just recently. Um, Southwest. So... N- Amy, give us give us a little bit more detail here. I saw just saw the headline about misaligned rivets. What, what's really well, going on here? Well, you do realize they've tended to fail in the same area, right? Yep. Yeah. And what they what the NTSB showed was that they have had they were misaligned, perhaps in installation. That's what I wanted to hear. Okay, and so this this becomes a Boeing problem suddenly, not a right. maintenance or um, you know longevity problem. But an actual uh oh, did we do that wrong? Well, and yeah. this this would explain why they were seeing these things happening before the number of operations that they thought they would see it happen. Um, yes, yes. If in it, fact it was defective from the very beginning, and they were just kind of fixing the problem on the assembly line. So where are we with this? Are, have, is this definitive, or they just think this is going on? No, I think they know that there's a problem, but I haven't seen a big AD come out. I wonder if there will be. Well, yeah. they've done. They've done. Got a, hang on, hang on. Let Jeb go. Go ahead, Jeb. Yeah. They've done inspections already. I don't know what specifically they've been inspecting. Uh, they did find some problems in some aircraft, as I recall. I don't know. I don't recall how many, um, but more than a hundred or so were inspected. Yeah. And well, but Southwest, I think, found five. Yeah, I was going to say, there, there, were, there were other issues found, or other airplanes with issues. Right, found. they were finding cracks and corrosion. Would that have right. been caused by the misaligned rivets, or is this some... I don't, I don't the, think the, corrosion was a factor. I think. Misaligned rivets can... I, I don't know if, if the rivets were misaligned or if they were elongated. Okay, a lot of people are saying misaligned. I didn't read it that closely. I saw, I, I saw uh, evidence... When I, one thing I saw was evidence of wear. Um, and, and maybe badly badly uh, fitted rivets, but um, I don't know about misalignment. Well, the the uh, the report talks about in some of the, the examples they found that the there was a slight misalignment between the holes and the upper and lower skins on that lap joint. 
there were other instances where on the same inspections where some of the holes were larger than they were supposed to be for that diameter of rivet. Uh-huh. And these are all flush rivets. Right. Uh, where have we heard that before? Um, what was this? The uh, 787 assembly had some sort of wrong-sized fastener problem a couple of years ago? Help. Yeah, that, the chip, different different type so of situation. Seven, I forget. I, or the, a, the A380. No, no, it was Boeing, I'm pretty sure. Boeing. Boeing had a big problem. This was a couple of years ago. They had a big problem. They had to rework a whole bunch of rivets, and it was also tangled up with the uh, union problem they were having at the time. And um, I don't know. I mean, it may not be related. It there, just, there, there were some fasteners that had to be reworked and replaced right. in some of the airplanes that were in the early production run. No indication at this point. still hasn't been certified. Right. No indication that there's any connection between the two, though, right? That's what I'm no, hearing. Not at all. No, 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 no. These are much, much older airplanes from the 90s and yeah. before. It, okay. And and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because for a, a number of years now, Boeing, Wichita, and now Spirit Aerosystems has built the 737 fuselage as a single unit that's then shipped to Renton, Washington for final assembly. Right. But prior to that, this model of airplane was built in sections, uh, and not all the sections were built in Wichita, but they were all joined into the fuselage unit in Renton. So there's going to be some looking at where this was happened and whether that's a lap joint. That's a lap joint that was put together somewhere in the assembly process. If it was a one-piece job, it was done here. If it was a multi-piece job, it was done up there. But something in the process didn't get caught. Right. Okay. All right. We'll just track this and see if anything else turns up about it. But uh, let's see. Here's the another best po- news for GA pilots is we don't have to worry about this in most of our airplanes. Yes, that's oh, true. Absolutely. Yeah. True. So uh, here's another possible title for the episode. We could call it Loss of Separation. Uh, <laughs> two, two stories here. Uh, let's see now. In what order? First of all, um, so the... Uh, the first lady's airplane uh, got a, a whopping three and a half miles away from a uh, what? You talk about a non-story. I know. I, this it is crazy. It actually got down to 2.9. Really? It got down to 2.9. Yeah. And, uh, so finally, it's called a really slow news day. I know. Well, you know, and, and a lot of people are saying that this only became a deal, be, only became a story because it fits into somebody's agenda. It's another chance sure. to beat up the, sure. I don't know, the FAA or the controllers or whatever. Wow, what are the or, or, or chances of that? You know, else. so uh, um, yeah. one of my favorite parts of this is, is that they kept characterizing it as, as you know, she had, they had, not she, but her airplane had to abort the landing. All right. You know, it's like they're three and a half miles out. All right. They're, they weren't even near a landing. They, you know. Yeah. I mean, calling a go around at three and a half miles. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I mean, not to say that there wasn't some, you know, there wasn't some procedural goof up here that that they need to figure out. But well, there there was, but it was a procedural goof up with uh, import only if the alignment of, of the airplane and the stars had been right, and they'd continued without paying attention to that. But for me, the story is the system actually worked. There was a separation standard; it got missed. They tried to correct it. It wasn't working for them. They had the airplane go around. End of story. Happy ending. Uh, why this became a story? 
Well, because it was a first lady's airplane, A. B, it was another opportunity to keep flagging the uh, the Hey Martha factor of the FAA and the controllers. And hey sleeping Martha? controllers oh, have oh, not oh, been oh, a oh, safety oh. threat because everybody's landed safely when the controllers were asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, the which, hey, they, the which hey they still thing? haven't. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Jeb, I'm with you, but we'll come back to it in a second. Are you done? Whiskey, tango, fox. Yeah, David, explain Hey Martha to us. Hey Martha, <laughs> that's, that's a story. That's a story that makes Dad look up from the paper or the TV uh, or the radio. And go, yeah. hey Martha, you got to read or hear this. Okay. <laughs> Two old ladies on the front porch eating boiled peanuts and talking. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. The other loss of separation story here is a uh, follow-up on a story we've kind of marveled at in the past. This is that uh, situation where the controllers asked the Southwest 737 to get up close and personal with the SR-22 because they had lost uh, radio contact with it. Um, and we're now hearing stories that saying that 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 it really got up close and personal. Well, I, it's not a story here. This is this is the NTSB reporting. They got how yeah. close? Tell us how close they're they're saying. Six hundred feet. Closest. Pro- I'm quoting from the NTSB prelim. Closest proximity was approximately 100 feet and one tenth of a mile. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. but the guy was a formation pilot, so he was feeling okay about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Tran- Translate it. That was 100 feet in altitude difference yeah, and one-tenth right. of a mile laterally. Yeah, so it was... And, and, and one-tenth of six, a mile laterally is 600 feet. feet. So yeah. Wait, 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 but I got to ask... 600 feet laterally. Yeah. I got to ask, why, when I was flying around, you know, up in the panhandle in my 210 years ago... And a couple of F-14s came right up under my wingtip so I could see the whites of their eyes, took you, a good look at the, me, and hit their afterburners. That wasn't a story. You know, you know, you know what the difference is? Yeah, what's the For one thing, there's an FAR specifically prohibiting impromptu formation flying uh, with paying passengers. <laughs> okay, I'll buy that. Okay. B, 100 feet and 600 feet, I don't know what the closure rate or. That's yeah. a little. That's a little aggressive. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you aggressive. that. I'll give you that. I think I, I. I think you're absolutely right, and I. And I certainly do see the difference. But um, that being said, but that being said, it ain't that well, close. It ain't that big a deal. Yeah, it's it's aggressive. But if ever, and here's what I would like to know. Okay, I probably someone ought to go find these tapes. I want to know what the Cirrus pilot first said when he came on frequency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and the second question is, can I get the phone number of the guy that handles Senator Inhofe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. I was uh, at, uh, Dave Pasco of LiveATC.net was at the brunch on, on Sunday or Saturday, and I asked him whether or not they caught that, and they didn't, unfortunately. Um, oh, so, uh, oh, well. It's a shame. I also asked him whether or not they caught the... Uh, the uh, sleeping controller who got caught. Be- oh no, not the sleeping controller. No, 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 the no, controller, the movie guy. The movie guy. I-, I wanted to know um, if if eight live ATC had caught that one because I wanted to know what movie they were listening to. And hey, listen, that guy. No that guy deserved the bad the bad mouthing. Frankly. Yeah. No, apparently they have De- uh, Jeb. Um, and now I'm forgetting what it was. It was a Samuel Jackson movie. Um, cool. 
And I said, what, and I immediately it, said, it fell I, one, two, three, or something. No, I immediately said, oh, tell me, please, that it was snakes on the plane. That I was just gonna <laughs> say, <laughs> don't tell me it was the beep, 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 snakes on the beep, 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 but it plane. wasn't. But it wasn't. It was. It was an older uh, uh, Samuel Jackson movie. So, uh, uh, anyway. and that would have been so perfect. Yeah, but it, it, live ATC didn't catch it. Apparently, someone else figured it out or something or other. So well, that's so, one of the yeah. time memorable movie lines. Yeah. So, anyways, what else we got here? What time is it? Oh no, we got plenty of time. Um, let's <laughs> see now. Uh, oh, minor point here, but uh, I want to correct the record here. Uh, last episode, I believe it was, uh, we gave a little shout out to our new friend down at uh, the uh, grass strip on Martha's Vineyard, and I kept referring to it as Katama Field, and I've been told by listener Rick Felty uh, that it is apparently pronounced Katama. Katama Field. So uh, make sure. I know that place. It's right on the beach. It's right on the beach. It's a very cool airport. Um, I've never been by there since I've been a pilot, but many, 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 many years ago, uh, visiting Martha's Vineyard, I drove past it. And uh, this is the field that I always get up in arms about because it gets closed down, and we're coming up on that time of year again. Um, It gets. it gets jammed up a little bit. Apparently, it's not as bad as it used to be when the president takes his vacation on Martha's Vineyard, which he's done the last couple of years. Um, the big uh, TFR uh, jams up the sightseeing business that runs out of Katama. And uh, I, I've been ranting about this. Go ahead, Jeb. Like, if you don't like that, then you probably shouldn't move to the D.C. Washington, to the D.C. area. I, I agree. I agree. Strictest, strictest yeah, air traffic well. control nonsense yeah. uh, exists. So. And, and, and what about all those temporary TFRs we still have in the world? Well, in temporary The Washington, D.C. One is no longer temporary, but let's talk right. about the rest of them, like the Disney one. Yeah, no, I sent. That's right. I sent you guys that video. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you both? Did you ever get? I know Amy did. She commented about it. But, um, um, who was it? Um, oh, Dave Thurlow of the Choppercast podcast uh, sent me a little clip of video, uh, or actually directed my attention to a clip of video that had a uh, a Los Angeles area pilot. Uh, talking at some sort of conference about the Disney TFR, the Disneyland TFR, and uh, some interesting comments he had. This gentleman um, talked about how the fact that there is nobody enforcing it. Um, there, there are no law enforcement agencies that care at all about airplanes flying through the Disney TFR. Um, well, the that, FAA cares. Yeah, but, but, but the FAA is not a law enforcement agency. That's, but, that's, but apparently that's not, there's nobody without a difference. But there's nobody in or related to the the FAA who's paying any attention to this. All right. Well, here's here's the here's the more salient question: Is anybody doing any banner towing? Well, no, they're not doing the banner towing, and the guy calls that out. He says that's actually really it. That, all right, that was the whole point of that TFR. But, but his point, congressional point. mandate exactly. there in, in Florida. And over the NFL games and and all this crap was so that the Disney on one side and the athletic leagues on the other could control and earn money from whoever was allowed to tow banners in, quote unquote, their airspace. Right. Well, nobody tows banners anymore in their airspace is what it came down to in the end. The only thing that's ever allowed to fly and even then under extreme exception is, is the blimp. Well, there's several blimps, though. Yeah, um, well, but again, that you, only you happens light- very rarely. Very rarely right. now. But, 
the, the owners, the people in charge of the stadium definitely want to control the advertising their patrons see. There's no question about that. Oh, and I think Disney does too. I think Disney wanted nothing to do with airplanes flying over Disney, oh, and so they were able to lobby very heavily to get that. Yeah, go figure. Hmm? Once upon a time, they used to have it was all that heavily lobbied, to be honest with you. Well, no, because at the time it was really easy to say, hey, we have a crowded venue. What do you think is going to happen when, you know? It was was done by congressional mandate. It did not meet the FAA standards. Right, right. And yet it still exists a decade later. A decade later, guys, you know? Talk about giving something up and never, ever getting yeah. it back. Patrick Smith had a, had a nice piece in, today on Salon.com. It says he went through TSA security. Uh, he had you know, his requisite uh, liquids in the requisite size containers, but they weren't in a Ziploc bag. And the guy um, was, was only a stickler for, the guy, for him leaving with... The, the stuff in the Ziploc bag. He could walk five feet away, take him out of the Ziploc bag, and go on his merry way. Yeah, and that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. It is. And, and Smith is like, you know, it finally dawned on me. There were, we're, this has been ten years now. We're stuck with this crap. It's not a way. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it took him this long to figure it out. But Yeah, uh, so... Anyways. Well, it's going to take, it's going to take a TSA spring on the on the uh, a move of the entire traveling public to change that because one person can protest it and it'll get a whole lot of press but nothing will change even one person making a good point can protest it and nothing will change it will not change until everybody says you know what i'm not going to do that today and the entire airport stands there and says, well, the planes will have to leave empty because we're not going unless you let us through. And the, and, and the and airlines will it, say, well, that's all right. We already got your money. Well, and that's the problem. I mean, the whole model is set up so that it's, it's going to be very difficult to have that happen. I mean, you know, we, we, we get into this. I object strenuously to the idea of airlines being allowed to overbook today, period. The overbooking rules were created back when you could call up and make 10 reservations if you wanted to mm-hmm. without being charged a penny. Right. And then just let nine of them expire when you showed up and the plane's empty. You, you know, you got a better seat. Today, nobody gets a ticket without paying for it in advance. It's paid for. Changing it costs you money. Why are they allowed to overbook at all when that's the circumstances? That's a good question. Well, it's it's about to cost more money, and that cost is going to get handed down. You know that. It's about them being able to keep it when you have a late taxi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb, um, I don't know when it is you put this on the list, but at the time you did, you told us that we only have 24 hours left. Uh, and then and then you went on to ask us what happened at 8.11 p.m. on April 19th. What happened at 8.11 p.m. on April 19th? That was about the time that I returned home after my long, that's, long drive. Yeah, that's true. What else What what in pop culture was supposedly happened at that hour? I, I'm drawing a blank. Do either we, of you two know we that? Touched, we touched on it earlier. Um, that's, that's the most recent date on which Skynet became aware. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So, 
there's been two or three dates. Um, yeah, they, different dates movies. in different movies, right? Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Connor Chronicles apparently had a, had uh, that particular date in it, the April night. Yes, yes, that's we've watched that. Not that I'm a fan. Okay, of all right, all right. We've done I Skynet. Like, I, I like watching Lena Hitty, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, we've done Skynet. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk about what what Dave. Likes before we do shoutouts, is there anything else on this list that I've skipped that you don't want to skip? Give well, it a look real quick here. I've jumped all over the place. Done. What's going on? Oh yeah, you skipped uh, Cirrus's reversal. Oh yeah, well the court just uh, yeah. Some, what happened? Tell us. Well, Cirrus uh, was in a huge lawsuit um, in a situation where the estate of uh, Cirrus' owner was suing Cirrus that they ill prepared that owner for safe flight, when in fact the owner had had um, good preparation, and Cirrus does a very good job. In fact, Cirrus does, I would say, a very proactive yes. um, training program and finally got a judge who said, wait a second, guys, look at what they tried to. We don't have a car manufacturer who does that for the operator, you know, and so therefore it was like a $15 million Right. Um, Initially, that's the judgment part. that was against Cirrus, and this right, has been, exactly. been overturned or reversed or whatever the term is. Well, yeah. for the time being, it's been overturned. Yeah. Now, don't don't think. Well, who was the attorney representing Cirrus? Do we know uh, who the attorney was representing Cirrus? I can't tell you. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So, so we think this is a good 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 deal. We're happy for well, Cirrus. Well, any time a manufacturer does not have to pay a huge settlement like that, insurance or no. It's a good thing for aviation because it, try to remember all the way back to what set GA back in motion in the 90s, and it was tort reform. Right. But even that tort reform, product liability reform, um, still left a tremendous amount of room for product liability suits. And this was a very strange and really not a particularly good product liability suit. And that it made it through the lower court still astounds me and makes me believe that our jury system is ill-prepared to judge such lawsuits. Oh, and we've seen that time and again, where the complexities of the issues in an aviation suit were just, you know, fertile ground for a really, a lawyer with really good communications and presentation skills to sell the idea that it was wrong that this happened to this person when the company could have done something to keep this from happening, whatever it was. In this case, it wasn't the airplane that they claimed uh, uh, to be, uh, uh, what's the word I want here? Uh, at fault, per well, se. At it fault. was the training program. Yeah, it, it wasn't the airplane that was... Uh, uh, a problem. It, w- it yeah. wasn't deficient. It was the training program that the pilot went through. Uh, was supposed to teach him, I guess, to a level that he couldn't die. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and the answer is, who is able to control human judgment on that level? And I mean, I'm a flight instructor here, and I'm telling you. That's, that's what kills most of the guys that make, you know, that... that you know, wind up under that heading, uh, pilot error is is a, is a judgment mistake. And oh, absolutely! It's just like keen drivers. You know, it's a judgment mistake that 
if you get five or six hundred hours, you're much less likely to make. And, and some of them are judgment enough, mistakes that you won't ever learn not to make until you make well, it survive. Well, I was going to say, strangely time. enough, there's the guy with 4,000 hours who also make judgment mistakes, but those are more complacency related. Yeah. Do, Jeb, do go what, ahead. Do we know what happened on this, on this accident? Yeah. yeah the the uh, guy got disoriented in IMC and basically flew the airplane into the ground. A serious SR-22. After a go around. An SR-22 with a parachute. <laughs> I heard that. Okay. Moving on. Anything else on the list we want to, before we get to shout-outs? I'm good. Okay. And thank you for that, Amy. The, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's, that's it. It's the precedent, the prevention of a precedent from being established here. That's the really important element of this. Absolutely, because let me tell you, as, as a flight training professional, there ain't nothing scarier in the world. Shout-outs. What do we got here? I've got two quickies here. Um, I mentioned that we had the uh, UCAP meetup at uh, Nashua's Midfield Cafe uh, over the weekend, and a quick shout-out to two people who I came across um, in, the, uh, in the restaurant. The first is uh, the very friendly and hospitable uh, Sandy, uh, who is one of the folks running the uh, Midfield Cafe. Um, she was she was a lot of fun, and uh, uh, we, we spent so much time hanging out there that the uh, breakfast and kind of early lunch crowd went away, and we were practically the only people sitting in the restaurant. And so she was she was tormenting us and taking care of us, and it was a lot of fun. So Sandy uh, of Midfield Cafe. I also want to give a shout out to um, a gentleman who I sort of met very briefly uh, there in the cafe, uh, who I, I'm almost a little embarrassed to have have met without preparing myself. Um, regular listeners of this podcast will know that in the uh, opening, uh, in the little uh, introductory piece, you hear two air traffic controllers uh, uh, speaking uh, as part of that intro. And, and those are actual air traffic controllers. I, that's audio that I got actually from liveatc.net. Um, and uh, it's two controllers, a tower controller and a ground controller at Nashua, uh, uh, guiding an aircraft to land and then to parking. Um, it turns out, and of course, yes, they're both real people, and you've got to figure that one day I would run across one of them. Well, I did. Uh, the tower controller uh, is a guy by the name of Lenny, uh, who I met in the restaurant that that morning, and uh, the uh, the locals there from Nashua who are part of our group are going, that's him right there, Jack, there he is, that's Lenny. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I hope he doesn't mind that we're using his voice. He apparently didn't even know that we were using his voice. But I want to give a shout out to Lenny of Nashua Tower. Uh, who was wide awake. Who was wide awake, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my two shout-outs. Uh, what do you guys got? David, you do this next one, or do the one for Jamie. Uh, yeah, let's, I got three quickies. The first one is uh, our old buddy Jamie Beckett, pilot, flight instructor, uh, city commission member at Winter Haven, Florida, uh, and author. And a few years ago, he sent me an autographed copy of a, a of a book that he'd written and published called Burritos and Gasoline. Right, a novel, and, not a novel. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, a, a, I don't read a lot of fiction, but it just happened that circumstances provided me with extra opportunities to catch up on my fiction reading, <laughs> and I had a great time reading Burritos and Gasoline, which is now available 
for, and it's been marked down since I saw it uh, a couple of days ago, $2.99 for your Kindle and there may be other, 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 other digital editions coming. But uh, Jamie's gone uh, ebook publishing and is really excited about it. So here's your opportunity to try it out. Agreed. I already bought my copy. I've been reading on my iPad, and uh, I, I'm only in Chapter 3, but I'm uh, having, having fun. So, uh, yeah. What else, David? Well, uh, middle school students here in Wichita, Pleasant Valley Middle School students, last week... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, this is actually this is called Pleasant Valley Middle Pleasant School? Pleasant Valley. Oh, yes. yeah. Why oh, not? Man, I, I need an insulin shot. <laughs> David, yeah, don't we, we, we actually have a number of places here called Valley uh, because of the little rivers that run through them, and they are valleys in a shallow sense. But these aren't shallow kids. They raised a bunch of money to send some of them and a bunch of World War II veterans to D.C. last week to see the World War II memorial on an honor flight chartered out of Wichita. Here, uh, here. Kudos. I was so fired up about kids that were interested enough in history. It's really less of an aviation story than it is a story of our history. But it used a, uh, a, a, a basically a 135 flight to accomplish it. And my last one, quick and dirty, WestJet Airlines. Oh, man. You, you man, oh, that. man. You what you, you people. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Dave, uh, Jeb, okay. Jeb wants to do that one. Let Jeb oh, no, do that one. I'm sorry. Go okay. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jeb, yeah, no, 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 no. Jeb you, you, got, you, you, you derailed him. You got you to take right. it now. All take right. the ball. All right. Uh, my turn? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Hats off to WestJet Airlines. They're, they're a Canadian carrier, as I, as I understand. Uh, they did an April Fool's video um, talking about how they're going to save all this money, all this, all this jet fuel, uh, by lightening up their airplanes. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to pump a bunch of helium into the cabin. <laughs> okay? And, and you know it's coming. Okay? And, 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 but... He does it anyway. This guy's doing a stand-up routine on the video. He walks up the ladder. He goes into the cabin, and his voice starts changing. <laughs> and and it's, it's just it's just fucking hilarious. There's a there's a flight attendant, female flight attendant, and she's doing the same thing. You know, welcome aboard. Please make sure your seatbelts are fastened. And it's about as funny an airline advertisement as I've seen in a long time. Sounds good. To, I didn't realize it was a video. I'll have to check out the video. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. What's the name of the airline again? West Jet. West Jet. All right. Our new favorite airline. Other shout outs. Anybody got anything? Oh, gosh. Let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, uh, I was going to um, make the announcement that came across my desk today that the Aviation and Women in Europe is uh, definitely on for late September in uh, Amsterdam. I just found out oh, today. Oh, good choice. Always a, always a good meeting. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Swan Heights, which is a, a school for professional flight attendants and butlers, is uh, one of their primary sponsors, which is good because they make great cocktails, I have to tell you. <laughs> wait a minute. Say Among the- many other things that they do, which are safety-related, they, they also teach them how to mix a, a serious course in mixology. And they know where all the silverware goes. Wait, which is something I still some, haven't some, asked no, no, no. for all this, this time. This one, Jack, this one's mine. Someone needs to pay my way there. 
<laughs> ah, yes, I agree. Someone does. Someone does. Spoken by the man who also couldn't get his way paid to eBay's, huh? I'm feeling that too. Um, <laughs> I never tried to get my way to pay, get someone to pay my way to eBay's. You know, I, it's always funny. I, yeah, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, this might be worth it, though. This might be worth it. Actually, Aviation and Women in Europe is a longstanding conference that's happened. Uh, Almost five years in a row, it's been in Italy, it's been in Oslo, Norway, it's been in London, um, and it's a great group of, of men and women, actually, who get together and um, talk about history, talk about current events, and uh, network. And in Europe, women are still just moving into the ranks of management and um, into aviation in a big way. So they don't get to see each other very often. Um, so this gives them an opportunity um, on the European con- continent to network for a day and a half. So it's always a good time. Cool. I can When's tell- that going to be? Uh, that's going to be in late September. Look for it on the um, WAI um, showdaily.blogspot.com, which you can get to also from WAI.org. Okay. There are oh, my shameless... My shameless commercial. In no, that's okay. That's okay. Any other shout-outs? Are we done? I think we're done. I'd, I'd, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to the no-dose vendor in all the towers across the There country. you go. Yeah. <laughs> As if that could help. There we go. Yeah, hey. Dude, we'll handle your IPO. <laughs> Thank you, folks. It's always fun to get together. Amy Lavoda is a uh, freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where else can people find you on the net? AFWdigital.org is where the magazine is at, Aviation for Women magazine, and WAI.org is the organization, Women in Aviation International, which is not just for women. Almost 10% of our membership is male. Why? Because they like us. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say because they could afford the postage. Yeah, no. <laughs> I thought she was going to say AMF. I, I didn't know what she was saying. <laughs> Thank you, Amy, for joining us. We're hoping you're going to be able to join us a lot more often these days. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we, but we got to get like you know a standing date, boys. I'll, I'll work with you on that. Okay, I'll we'll work, work on that. We'll work that- on that. All right. we, we, we're all in favor of that, yeah. but, uh, you know, as, as the man says, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Dave Higdon. Dave is an uh, aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can be f- people find you on the Internet? Oh, uh, avbuyer.com, aea.net. Uh, if you're a member of the Wright Association, I could give you one that ends with .org. But, uh, or just Google my silly old self and, 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 and roll the dice and see what comes up. There you go. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internets? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com is another one. Uh, occasionally on uh, AEA.net and AvWeb.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help.
And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, are you going to say something? The only way to outlive Jack is go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that, and that's enough talk. And let's go flying. AMFFM. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Okay, this is totally not airplanes. I may even cut it out, all right? Your friend whose first name I'm blanking on, tell me Frank. Frank, okay. Well, Frank shows us this little kind of brass cylinder thing with a uh, a a little knob on the top with a little sort of look like a spray thing all right that he had found at a flea market and he was asking us if we had any idea what it was and we didn't have anything idea what it was was, he was showing it to me and barry your husband and uh, we had no idea about it so so i took a couple of pictures of it and uh and then after getting back to jeb's i showed the pictures to jeb and to uh lee steikleather the uh satanic mechanic the man in black and um and they didn't know what it was either and then like a day and a half later we're sitting out poolside at shea burnside and lee is is leafing through a motorcycle magazine and he suddenly goes hey wait here it is and we go what he says here's that thing that you were showing me the picture of all right and he shows us a picture in the magazine that it turns out that this gadget is um an antique fire extinguisher uh, Ugh, that came that's equipped on this this old motorcycle in Indian, as I recall. But uh, uh, this is a forty nine Indian chief. Yeah, and, wow. And it, and that little gadget was a uh, was a fire extinguisher, apparently. And uh, I sent you a pic. I'll send another. I'll send the picture again. But I wanted you to communicate the picture to Barry, who could, th- or maybe you can communicate. Somebody can communicate it to your friend Frank to let him know that we figured out what it is and that maybe he should not have drilled a hole in the bottom of it because it may be a valuable antique. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Well, that yeah. happens. But uh, that was pretty cool. Anyways, we'll have to decide whether this stays in the podcast. What were we talking about? I don't know. Uh, oh, we were